I grew up in a family where my mother and father were uh, very uh, strong influence in my life. And they were good parents and had a good influence on me, and I was raised uh, with a strong father. Now, he died when I was pretty young, died of a heart attack. I was 28 years of age when he died, 29 years old. And after that, uh, um, my wife's husband, excuse me, my wife's father, was also dead too. <laughs> was also dead. And so I had inherited two widows. And so my life as an adult was with two widows. Now the reason I raise that question is one of the struggles I went through as I was clearing my life with the IBM Corporation was trying to understand if my mother uh, could understand anything that was going on in my life. And I began to realize that she didn't, that we were completely out of step and there was no correlation. And besides that, though she loved me, she wasn't really terribly interested about what I was doing. I mean, she was interested in what she was doing. And so I went through a transition of understanding what honor meant because I was raised in an environment that honor meant to the obedience of my family. And as I went through that, uh, I, I had questions. I didn't really mess with it very much because it was really not in any kind of pressure to make a decision. It was one I could just kind of accept and handle and go on. But then my mother lost her mind through Alzheimer's. And when she did, uh, it rendered a lot of pressure to our relationship and how do we do it. Now, there was three players in that, in that story. The uh, first one was myself and uh, a, caring, a caring son with a, a, a family of three children and uh, my wife and uh, running a business. I had my own business by that time and very actively involved in the national level with some ministry, and then all of a sudden I find on my doorstep my mother in this Alzheimer's condition, and I've watched that generate towards me. And the question was, how do I respond to that? And the second player was my mother, and how did I deal with her? She went through it, and the third player was my brother, my sibling, who was not a believer, and though we had a fairly good life when we were young, because of 20 years and different wives and different careers and different value systems, we had grown very, very sharply apart. And so we had some very tough decisions to make coming from totally different reference points. So there was some tough, tough things that went on. But I really wrestled with God on what does it mean to honor my parents because what it was, was when I was a young man dealing with adult parents who invested in me versus one who couldn't invest in anything now because she literally was, had to be taken care of. What, did that, what, did, what was God's plan and what was important to God in the concept of honoring? As I went through that, I must also say to you, that in my life I found that it is one of the most pervasive, pervasive, and pervasive problems I find in men's lives and the concept of honoring their parents. As a matter of fact, uh, if you ask me, what, is, what are the four weak areas in a man's life that you can always go to in evangelism? One of them is his job. He's always afraid of his job and his career and where it's going. The other one is, can I live with this woman the rest of my life? Can I deal with that? Third is, I'm scared to death of these children that I think they're going to consume me and take me over. And the fourth one is, what in the world am I going to do with my parents? And I find that in, I find that very rarely do I find that's not an issue with an individual, if I can have just a legitimate, intimate discussion with them about where they are. So what I would like to do is take that question on with you and begin to uh, not necessarily give you answers, but challenge you in your thinking on this very important relationship. Let me open this with prayer. God, uh, 
we appreciate the time together. We appreciate the talk with Walt this morning and understanding our role in the ministry. Thank you, God, for your word and the beautiful day and just being together at this time. I pray, God, now that you will anoint my lips and protect me from saying the wrong things, protect their hearts, and let us learn the lessons you would have us learn from the issue of honoring our parents. Bless us this time to glorify your name. Amen. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take extracts. This is a, uh, a talk I'll give a lot of times. And it, it's a three-hour talk, and I'm going to take extracts from it and just uh, do, it, do it in about an hour. But it's, it's something worth our discussion. I hope this pen works. I didn't test it. Nope, that's not very good. Yellow will not show, will it? <laughs> not going to show. Let me see if i got a brown here. Okay, I think that'll work. Yes, thank you. Let's keep the brown and the black here. Now, what I want to do is, when I, when I went through the issue of trying to understand where I was with my parents, I went back to try to understand how God viewed my relationship to all people. Walt has been telling us about the ministry is to people and to serving people. And I begin to try to understand and put that back in perspective, so I really tried to think back. So let's you and I go through some of the discussions I had with myself and a lot of other men that lasted over many months. Uh, but let me give you a distillation of that. I went back and said, uh, started thinking, what is the chief aim of man with relationship to God? What? Why did God create us on this earth? What is our objective? How are we going to be measured in the economy of God? What is it? Why are we here on earth? Glorify God. Anybody agree? So the chief aim is, is to glorify God. Any others? Okay. Take on that in just a moment. But I would also say it is to know God. So knowing God and glorifying God is really what our mission is. And the question is, I like that phrase, but what in the world does that mean? I mean, I, I enjoy that, and that's a good thing. And I'm going to talk on obedience uh, today, and knowing God is a very important part of that because it says if you want to know him and love him and glorify him, you obey him, and we'll talk about that. But I begin to think about that, that that is best played out. It's played out in, in, way, in different ways, but it's best played out on how we deal with people. Would you agree with me? It's how we engage with people. As a matter of fact, if you took the commandments and reviewed the commandments, would it be a fair statement to say that the preponderance of the commandments that we're, that we're described, excuse me, the preponderance of the commandments we are given has to do with how we engage with people? Now, Walt said last night, that thou shalt not kill was a commandment given to us on or thou shalt not steal, stopping us from meeting a need that God would want to give us. Do you remember that discussion he had? But let me suggest to you, not only are there negative commandments, there are positive commandments in which God is describing what our role is that we are supposed to be doing in lieu of trying to answer our own needs. For instance, husband love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He says, be about that command. I'll take care of your wife. Quit running over and trying to have adultery. Are you with me? So the commands are what he wants you to do in that role. The negative commands are telling you what you are not to be doing. Are we on that? So most of the commands, I think we all agree, have to do with people. And the, ro the roles he des describes are our spousal role, 
our children row, right? Our parents row, our employee row, how we are to be as an employee, uh, employer row, and on and on and on, down to even to the level of how we are to interact with our government. But the commands are to do that. Right? Got that. And the commands are always unidirectional. They are not a bidirectional command. Meaning, it says, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Is that a bidirectional command or is that a unidirectional command? Unidirectional. It is what I do for my wife. It has nothing to do with what my wife does for me. There's no promise of response. There's no reciprocity in that command. And in my engagement with life and in the commands and in a personal relationship, the burden always lies with who? With us. The burden in God's strategy is always on us. And we must look at it that way. We are accountable before God. That flies in the face of a lot of the uh, pop psychology that's going on. But the truth of the matter is, the burden and responsibility is always on us. And if you do not embrace what Walt was teaching on needs last night, since your wife may not respond the way you want, what are you going to do? You're going to manipulate it. Because you've got to get your needs met, and if you don't trust God for that, what are you going to do? You're going to engage in the manipulation, and you're going to go extra scriptural on your commands. You're going to start changing on around to get the job done. And that's the reason that talk was so important last night. And it was, it was imperative in, in the concept of being a servant. You can't be a servant until you're at peace that God's going to meet your need. Because I cannot serve you, Carrie, if I'm not sure God is not going to take care of me, because I'll always just manipulate because I'm going to get my needs met. That is the rule of the game. So we're all unidirectional. And all the burden is on me. And on top of that, they are, uh, they depend solely on a sovereign God taking care of my needs. Okay? Now I thought about that at length. And I said to myself, how, how do I do that? And I said, as God, as God looks down on the world, what does he see? Does he see... Uh, black and white and, and different races and I said no he doesn't see that does he see tall and sharp people gifted and non-gifted people he, he doesn't, none of the economies that way none of the commands are written like that he makes some distinction in men and women but really that is even given away in heaven so there's really no distinction there the only thing I ever saw his commands circle around was the believer and the non-believer that's the only two people I think that he recognizes from heaven and all the commandments and everything is written around that. That's his economy. Would we agree? All the stories and everything are written around that. Like he doesn't make. He doesn't put out the racial issue. He doesn't pull out the. He doesn't pull out the uh, the power issue. He doesn't uh, have commands for the kings, but no the different commands for somebody else. They they don't have that kind of distinction. And being a math major, I had this thing. Uh, I understood this very quickly. If I only have, if God only has two kinds of people, well, there's only. Uh, three kinds of commands he can give. And that's believer to non-believer, believer to believer, and non-believer to non-believer. I figured that out real quickly because of my great math experience, that there's only three ways you can cut that pie, and so I approach it, I can walk up on that, okay? But as I thought that some more, and I said, that's not really true because I look at the commands, I realize in the interpersonal relationships that I can also have I can also have what the focus of that relationship is. For instance, 
I can have Christ as the focus, or I can have others at the focus, other, an other focus, an other objective. Would you agree with me? I'm selling you a, um, a computer sale. And the reason I'm selling you this computer as we're engaged in this sales call is because I want your money. I want to get this out, and I want the recognition back at the home office that I sold this computer, and I got this deal to go down. And so my whole motivation is to closing the order so that I may get the glory to get the job done. But this is a believer-to-believer transaction, right? But my focus is that of something other than Christ. But can I be also a salesman selling you a computer and having Christ at the focus of my life? Could I? The answer is yes, that I want to do everything that's glorifying to God. I want to make the transaction a good one. I want quality and integrity. The burden of the truth is on me, not on you. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? So there are believers to believers and believers to non-believers, but some of it I will do with Christ as a sinner and some I'll do without Christ as a sinner. Are we together on that? And I find myself wandering around in those camps all the time. Do you? The trip is trying to flop back and forth in those. Well, I found in my study of the scriptures there are no commands on non-believers to non-believers. God sets no rules down for them. They want to go out and kill each other off, let them go do that. There's no commands. The commands are not applicable to them. Because he basically says his natural man, because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit, wouldn't understand how to discern them anyway. Wouldn't take he wouldn't take it. He doesn't understand it. And though I want to say to you in my search that I don't see these being condemned, I want to suggest to you if you allow yourself to get over in this area, you're in no man's land. You're drifting around in no man's land. Because I'm fundamentally, I'm wasting my time, Sal, if I'm committing to marketing to you without Christ at the center of my life. If I don't transact on everything I do. Now, guys, when I look at this and I say believer to non-believer, I know what that is, is evangelism. All right? And when I look at believer to believer, that would be edification. Now, the reason I raise that is that as men in life, all interpersonal relationships, which is the key to glorifying God, reduces itself to E squared. And that is evangelize or edify. That's what our life is committed to. Every engagement I have, Matthew 5, 16, is to let my life so shine before men that they may see my good works and give glory to God. Every engagement I have is E squared sinner. There is no other acceptable, definable reason for an interpersonal engagement in God's economy. Are we together? Are you sure you're with me? It's one of the hardest things I ever discovered because it means when I'm in business, though that's very important, that issue is still E squared. That's what I am there for. Therefore, how can you be a businessman and glorify God? The whole foundation of what I'm doing has an E squared component. This is worth discussing a great deal more at length. I'm not going to do it, but I want to suggest to you the great challenge is learning how to shape your mindset and your filter system so that you're focused here. How do I do E squared, then I say? Well, I want to suggest to you God's commands on how you do E squared are in his commands on interpersonal relationships. If you have a non-believing wife, how do you evangelize your wife? And guys, I know guys that leave tracks in her on her dressing room, uh, 
scribble little notes to her on her spirituality, uh, leave little uh, tracks on her pillow. And I want to suggest the way you evangelize your wife is you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You be about just obeying the command, and that will evangelize her. How do you edify your Christian wife? Is it by taking her through extensive Bible study and, and, uh, and making her memorize as many verses or hopefully more verses than you do and holding her accountable for that? Yes. Well, sure, just draw the line. Make her jump. <laughs> right, and she punches you on the way over. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you edify your wife? I think you, as Christ loved the church, you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You want to know how to edify and evangelize those around you? which is what this command is, it is applying the commandments God's given you with Christ as a focus of your life. Because that's very important. Because how do I deal with a parent who is a non-believer? How do I deal with a parent who is a believer? Because I've had that thrown at me multiple times. How do I deal with a parent that's an SOB? I just didn't like my dad, and I've had that asked to me a number of times. How do I deal with a parent that's this way or that way? The issue is God has given you that parent and you re-squared them through the commands of God which it pertains to them. So I begin to understand that my honor, honoring my mother, was unilateral. It was, com- it was commanded by God and it was my method to evangelize or edify my parent depending on her spiritual state. Are we together on that? Any questions on that? Because that's a key, a key component. If I understand what paragraph you're talking about, I was alluding to the fact that we all agreed that I had logically argued into the issue that all of life from Christ's economy is E-squared. How do we do that, I ask? Uh, do I go to a, a campus crusade and learn how to do the perfect uh, demonstration of the four spiritual laws and I bang my wife with it or I bang my parents with it? Or how do I approach that? And I suggested that God's strategy was his commands on our relationship that he has given us are the definitions on how we edify and evangelize. Okay? Comment? Question? Are we, are we fat city on that? And then I mentioned that, let's remember that all commands are unilateral on interpersonal relationships. There's no reciprocity committed to it. That if you're going to engage in this, you must have a great deal of dependence that God is going to meet your needs because it's not your wife's responsibility to meet your needs. It is not your children's responsibility to meet your needs. It is not your employer's responsibility. It's God's problem to do that. He may use them to execute that, but it's up to him to get it done, not them. And you cannot go in there demanding that out of them or expecting it out of them. And this is very, very, very true of a parent because you've got to realize we have reverse roles. I'm from a parent who dominated me, who gave to me, who superseded my needs, who took care of me, cleaned my bottom, fed my face, took me through society, launched me out, and then all of a sudden, they can't do that anymore. All the roles get reversed on me. Comment? Are we okay? All right. Well, what does... So the Scripture's definition... Uh, excuse me. So God has called us to do a number of things. I want, guys, I want you to give me some help here. Somebody read 
Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, and Matthew 15, 4. Who'll do Ephesians 6, 1 through 3? Thank you. And Matthew 15, 4. Thanks. Let's get those done. What's uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 say? All right. What did it say, Matthew 15, 4? God said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must truly die. Okay. Now let me ask you a question. What, what do we learn from those verses on honoring? Now, how do you know he puts a high value? He commanded it. Yeah, so I mean, I mean maybe that is high value to itself. But what else? Hmm? How do you mean obedience? Um, just children obey your parents and the Lord. I guess that I don't know that can mean that could have two meanings. It can mean your parents, I guess, when they're in the Lord, or <laughs> or it could mean. Okay. Um, Obey them as long as you are keeping. In, in other words, the Lord is top, and, and whatever they say, if they're in accord with the, with the Lord, then. Okay, let's get back to the moment. I want to go back to the honor statement. Yes. Okay, and a good question is, what does the word mean? But is it important? Somebody said it's very important, and I want to say I agree to you. For one reason, it made the top ten, made the big ten. A lot of things didn't make the big ten. Told me not to commit adultery, but didn't tell me a lot of things about my marriage. But it was the uh, positive command with respect to the parents. And what else was the other observation he made? That's the first command with... Why would he have to make a promise on that command? He didn't say, don't commit adultery, and I promise you two acres of land that will bear fruit very well. Don't lie, and I tell, you, I tell you what I'll do for you there. Three barrels of wheat. I'll get you that one. And let me see what he did. He made no other deals. The only one he made a deal on was with the parents. The only command that had the promise with it. Let's go on. With, let's let's go on with what honor. Think on that. Let's go on with with honor. Me. There's two words in the Bible on the word honor. One of them means to ascribe or give value to, and one means to invest in and to make of value. All right, now let, me, let me describe those two things. I like art. I am not scholarly on art. I am, a, I am really a, 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 a layman. I do not know good art, but I enjoy art. So I go into a uh, art show, and I'm looking at this picture, and I say, that is a good-looking picture. I'd pay money for that picture. How much you pay? I'll pay uh, five thousand dollars for that picture. I just ascribe value because there is no value to it. It's just a piece of paint up on a canvas, right? But I said that has a value. Give that to me, and I'll give you five thousand dollars, which is another form of transacting. I mean, it shows that value is because of my money. What well, he says, the way you are to honor your parents is that you ascribe value. To you look at them, you see them, and you say that person is of value. They have not had to do anything for you. They have not had to earn it. 
it is not a, the burden on them to make themselves of value to you. It is simply, I declare they're of value. Why can't I do that? Why can't I, how can I make that declaration, Dave? Let's see, I have a, let's see, I have a mediocre parents that really kind of ignored me all my life. Because how does, okay, and how do you know that? Okay, let me suggest to you, you must understand the view is that God gave you your parents. That's a unique assignment by God to those people. And you must view it from that vantage point. And that alone merits value. I ascribe value, you, God gave them. I don't understand why you gave me those hacks. Some guys will say to me. But the, the issue is, I still accept what God has given to me, and they're of value. And that's what that word honor means. It means I ascribe value. Now, when you have a mother or a father who has lost it mentally and defecates in their pants and cannot speak to you, and wanders around the house and breaks out of the house and wanders up and down the street at night. You cannot demand out of them, you behave where I respect you. You can't demand that because it's not there. What makes my mother a value? I happen to have had a good mother and I could depend on the track record, but I can also just say simply God gave her to me and she's still a child of God and she has value. And I must love her and treat her from that vantage point. It is to ascribe value. They do not have to earn it. Okay? Is that a two-step thing? Because you're saying that uh, I declare that they have value. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. But it's viewing God's hand in it. Most of the problems we have in business, on the job, in everything that I transact is my view of God and how he dealt with me. You know that? 90% of that is the truth. How, when I go into a hard situation, I went through three very hard years in business. And one of the great strains I had was what? Realizing God's hand was on it. Are you with me? It's how I viewed what God was doing. That was the issue. When... Um, as we go through life and the, and the terrain shifts and things aren't going the way I want to, the great issue I have is can I still see God's hand in it? Or does everything always have to be crystal clear and beautiful and everything going the way I want it to before I say, praise the Lord. You know, when, when business was going well for me, I said, praise the Lord. What a great God. When the business went, Pfft, I said, um, you know, God, where did you go? <laughs> this isn't the way we wrote the script. Are you with me on that? And I think that's very, a very big issue that we must understand how to see God in the transactions of our life and see what's important to God. And God called us to honor, and that's to inscribe value. The second command, the second definition of honor is to make a value. And that is because you invest in something and you make it a value. I like to tell the story that my son and I put up a picket fence together. And guys, I am not a skilled carpenter. And so we figured roughly... At the rate of 50 cents an hour, the fence was roughly worth about $20,000 is what that thing was, was worth. And we had to, we'd slaughtered everything in sight to do this at about 20-foot fence is what we've done. Because we're just not gifted at it. But that fence has great value to Gail Jackson. I want to put my hands on that fence and said, that's a good fence. I made that fence. Why? Because I invested in it. Now, the word honor like that is used in conjunction to the relationship to your wife. 
what it means is you are to invest in your wife and make her of great value. Now the parents are not under that, under that issue. Here you are to honor your parents. It's the first one with a promise and it is a simple declaration they are of value and that is a key beginning point. Understand it's of great value to God that you honor. Now I do not know nor do I have a secret message from God on this on this discussion, but I want to suggest to you, in my own opinion, the reason God says you're the first one of the promise is because honoring your parents as they get older is very, 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 very hard. It is not fun. It's not, it's not funny. It's difficult. And I think it really calls on a commitment from an individual to do it. Would you want to ask a question? Yes. It is to ascribe value. They are value and then treat them accordingly. I happen to have had good parents. I was out with a couple this week that uh, they have a parent which is very disruptive to them. Their mother's a hypochondriac. She's on pills. She demands things they can't do, etc. And the question was, was I, are they to give up their life to go to be around her? The answer is no. But she, they are still to love her and respect her and understand God gave them to her and treat her accordingly. And you must then decide how, therefore, I apply my time and energy to deal with that. Now, the good news is you get to decide how you're going to put your spiritual energy in the direction of that kind of parent. All right? The bad news is you get to review it with God when you go to heaven. You get to make the decision on how you're going to do that. But the seed attitude, hear me, the seed attitude is the fact they're of value because God gave them to you. If I allow my attitude to get that that woman is a disruptive bitch, if I get in the mood that my dad's an SOB and beat me around, I assure you I can never serve him, nor can I deal with him in love as God has commanded me to. Do you hear me? And so the first thing God attacks is the attitude of how I perceive my parents. I must see they are of value. And then that means, that doesn't mean I won't have to make a hard decision. I put my mother in a home. A lot of people disagreed with me on it. Now here's the good news. I got to make that decision. I thought it was in the best interest of everybody around. I went to my accountability review. Here's the bad news. I get to review it with God very soon. Are you with me on that? The issue was not necessarily the accuracy of my decision, but the attitude with which I approached the decision and how I dealt with my mother in that transaction. Does that make sense? And what we're doing now in our society is we're saying, well, these people are victims. Everybody's been a victim. I suggest to you, it's your view of God. Not a victim. God, God put them there. God's accountable for that deal. It's what I do with what God put me into. Not the first time somebody got banged around by their parents. It's been going on for thousands of years. It's how you deal with what God's, where God's put you. Is that okay? We sure? All right. Uh, somebody read Matthew... 19, 16 through 22. Who will do that for me? 
young ruler is a great story, guys, and I'm not going to try to interpret the rich young ruler. Let me just make a couple of observations out of the rich young ruler engagement that meant something to me in my dealing as a son and as a brother as I went through this, okay? Number one was, again, that when asked, one of the denominators Jesus gave for a man to test himself on was how he dealt with his parents. That was interesting to me. An indicator of the righteous outgrowth within your life is something to do with how you deal with your parents. Was, he used other things. I didn't say he didn't use other things. It's not only made the top ten, it was the fifth, of the, the fifth commandment. It was the first one of interpersonal relationships that was mentioned in the Ten Commandments. But what was also important was Jesus didn't say to him when he got through saying, well, I've done all these things. Oh, you, didn't, you don't really know. Did you know this? Jesus was willing to let him evaluate inside himself how he was doing on those scorecards. All right? And I want to suggest to you how well you do with honoring your parents is all an internal matter and is not up for public review. Only you can judge it. Now, if I caught you hitting your parent in the nose, Dick, I would say, Dick, I think you've gone too far. But almost beyond being extreme and ridiculous, I cannot evaluate how well you're doing on honoring. Are you with me? Note two things. God said it's a good barometer to put down on your own life. But two, you must judge how you're doing. You understand what I'm saying? That's true of all the positive comments. How well do I know, Carrie, how you're doing with your spouse or Bob? How do I know? I don't know how well you're doing. Are you doing it the way I'm doing it? No. I love Connie different than you're going to love your own wife because Connie's a different person and we've got a different relationship. But it's important for me to say within myself, I see it, I understand it, I'm applying myself to it. God says, on the parent situation, see it, know it, apply to it. So Jesus gave him a chance to answer. The guy answered. He accepted his answer. And he says, well, there's a deeper deal. He goes on to talk about other things. But it, I'm not trying to get into the other part of the story as much as it is an eternal barometer to where you are with Christ. It's your dealing with your parents. And only you can evaluate that. Well, the first one, honoring is an attitude. It's a way I view my parents. It's with a promise because it's hard. It made the top ten, and it's also one that I must decide how I apply it. Okay, somebody read to me. Uh, let's do. Um, if, uh, let's just do um, uh, Ephesians five thirty one. 
right? It's the great leave and cleave commands, that a man is to leave his family and to go on. Now, guys, one of the things I had to decide, and one of the things that came across my mind as I went through this, and really it struck me, was the changing roles. Now, when somebody come up and say, tell me about your family, Gail, what do I say? Well, my family is, I have a, two sons and a daughter, and a dog, and I'm getting ready to be, have, I'm ready to be, getting ready to be a grandparent, etc. Notice where my starting point is when I talk to you, Sal. It's always me. I am the head in the beginning. I am the, where the family starts. Well, that's not a true statement. How's your family doing? Well, my mother and father are gone to be with Jesus, and my mother-in-law is living with me. The beginning is greater than just myself. And God says for us to leave in Cleveland. What we've got to understand is that we're moving on. And the thing I had to understand is not only had I faced past my mother and dad being the head of the family, but I must also understand my children are going to do the same thing to me. They're going to phase on, they're going to leave and cleave, and they're going to move on. And the word honor will mean different things at different times. Would we agree with that? When my children lived in the house, they obeyed me. That's called honoring. When, my, when I became 28 years of age, I didn't obey my parents anymore. I didn't ask their advice on anything. Well, that's not true thing. I didn't ask them to tell me what to do on anything. That was... You see, the phases shifted. And as we got older, I did not depend on my parents for input into my life because of what had transpired. So we are to leave and cleave, and it does move on. And though we think we are the apex and the center of the whole transaction, and I do, I am the patriarch. I want to assure you that is a passing mantle. And my oldest son, who's getting ready to be a father, doesn't, though he loves me very dearly, my patriarchal esteem is slowly fading as he becomes the king of the roost. And he's expecting me to step in line with where he's going in life. You see what I'm saying? And so honoring takes on different views. And not only when you deal with your parents, it changes, but you understand when you deal with your children, it's a changing, shifting terrain as you go through this. Now, that's been my experience, and I thought it was a, a key thing in that command. Any comments or questions on what we've said so far? Yes. <clears throat> yes. It really comes home. Yes. And, I, and I'm sure it does. And as I go further and start losing more and more capacity to perform and execute, I know it'll even become more extreme. But you got to understand, at your age, I was El Supremo Patriarch. The family started with me. I'm the king of this field. I'm taking care of my mothers. You can gather around me, children. I'm going to handle all this. Well, they don't gather around now. They blow the whistle and tell me to get in the tub now. Are you, are you with me? Now, guys, that's the shifting terrain. That's God's plan. Patriarch is out. It stopped with Abraham. We're not in the patriarchal business. It's a shifting, moving deal. My deal is to bring, raise my children up where they are people in God. Stand alone. Yes, I have a unique relationship with my kids. Great relationship. But I see the shifting authority going to my son. It's interesting to watch him take over and run the thing. It's just interesting to watch him do that. What is my point? Honoring looks different at different times. Not only as I honor my parents, but what I expect out of my children. Are you with me on that? That's a critically important thing to get a hold of. Okay. Somebody read uh, John 19, 25 through 27. What else about honor? Who, who has that? Who's going to do that for me? David, would you do that? 
25 through 27. What's the scene, David? Where are we? Yeah, it's, it's, it's right after John 18. Where you go, John David? We're at the cross. Okay? David, you had to set the scene and you didn't do that. Okay. We're at the cross. Now, guys, when we hear this first, what I want you to get your mind. We're at the cross. We, as Christians, consider this the single greatest event in the history of man. Would you agree or disagree? All of history flows to this point, and all of history flows away from this point. Would we agree? This is big-time action. Okay, now, the guy recording history by the inspiration of God is taking down what's going on. And you know a lot of things are going on. Guards are shuffling, people are moving, the clouds are thundering, they represent it, you know, the big storm's rolling in, and our Savior is on the cross dying. So everything that we recorded has got to be incredibly important. Would you agree or disagree? We're catching the words of the divine Savior at the greatest moment in the history. So we want to, we want to seize on every word and hold the words, right? Key thing. So this is some of the things that he said. Thank you. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But there were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, and Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus therefore saw his mother, and his disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, and said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. What did he say, Bob? Tell me, interpret what just went on. Tell me what went on in that verse. What, what was said? Okay. He recognized a responsibility. It was so important that our Savior said, before I exit, you're responsible, sir. Now, who did he pick to do it? And who was that? Was it a physical blood brother? Do we have evidence that his blood brothers were around? Yes. Interesting set of discussion going on here. Interesting issue. He thinks it's so important, honoring is so important, the care of his family is so important, recorded at the greatest event of time, is him turning and passing on that mantle of responsibility to a spiritual brother. Now, guys, if we went back to this chart and named all of the relationships off here, and I've studied this a long time, I want to tell you the one relationship that I never find, and that is of a sibling. God never describes the relationship of a sibling. Brother to brother, or brother to sister, or sister to brother. Now, what does that mean? And I don't know what that means. <laughs> I have all the other relationships described, and I think it is, though those are important and definitely pervasive and have influence, it's always described on the believer to the non-believer relationship, and it is how you would deal in the context of just another man or another woman as time wears on. I found that to be true in my own brother. I found that to be a true statement. So Jesus is up on the cross, and he's looking down from the cross, and though he has his own brother out there, he doesn't pass mom to his brother. He passes it on because it is a spiritual responsibility. And when I dealt with my brother, not being a believer, the thing I really learned is my view of honoring was totally different than his. That I had a spiritual insight that he could not 
have. And I think that was the issue that was on Jesus' mind. If I may read between the lines. Are we together on it? It's spiritual in its dimension. It is to be held. I always used to kid my, my business partners, a guy named Chuck Harley, who's a Christian. And I always, told, I always read this verse to Chuck, and when my mother was in the peak of her problems, said, now if I die, Chuck, you get mom. <laughs> no way to, let's hear it for good health. <laughs> Those were bad times. Yes. got some zip, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Just watch how Jesus dealt with the thing. The notes I brought to myself, it's a spiritual assignment. Honor is a, and you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to execute it. If you do not believe me, just read the newspapers and go to the homes and watch, look at the abandoned parents. If you don't believe me. It's commanded. Care is commanded. It is modeled. If we honor, we will care. But if we care, we do not necessarily honor. Are you with me? That's a key distinction. Because I... On God. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, here's the son dying because he's honoring his father's wishes. Mm-hmm. Awful strong than me right there. Okay. Stronger probably than in dealing with my mother or what my wife's mother. I go back to that feeling Somehow gives me help. Okay. And I know whatever gives anybody Thank help. That's your mind. Just Thank you, David. share that honor. Yes. That thought about honor. We, we so many times think that it's, it's the one way thing, the crucifixion. It's a two man story. I'm not. You're right. That's a good point. And you're just ruminating with this, and I understand that. But here is the moment when all of that's going on that he stops it, freeze frames it, and turns and looks down and says, this is my mom. Yeah. Take care of her. And I got to tell you guys, that's incredible. I mean, there, there's a lot of going on down here at the scene, and we could have just never recorded that. It didn't need to be recorded. But for some reason, the God of the universe wanted that recorded, and that got recorded. Excuse me, yeah, Dave. I the answer is yes. I think honoring. A, uh, I think the way we witness to non-believing parents is through honor. The beginning, beginning of the attitude of honor and care. Yes, sir, I do. Yes, by model and by command. Yes, I do. He gave us our parents. He didn't give us non-believers and believers. That's right. Mm-hmm. Is that? Mm-hmm. He's not through with me yet. I'm sorry. I no, no. I, I, I've known him. He whittles slowly, cuts away at me. Is what he's going to do. He's going to cut this little piece away in this piece away until I fall in a hole. That's true. Yeah, I think it can get to that. I think your parents can be so disruptive they can destroy your family and you make a decision that will block them out. Yes, sir. And that's the tension of any decision. 
a decision I had to go through, David, and you were with me when I went through this, was with my mother. Do I stop this and do this and change this so that I can have her in the home to watch her? Or how do I balance this decision and put her in a home, which would exclude her to a degree, from the movings and the functions of the home as she goes away from me mentally? You remember that you went through this. And I made the decision that in the balance of everything, the best decision was to move her over there. Now, I'll go through, I don't mind painting to what the rest of the pictures has, I drug the kids and all that kind of stuff. But that was a tough decision, but it was a trade-off and a trade-around. And I think if I had a parent which was disruptive to my wife and killing my kids and doing those kind of things, that there's ways I can still care for her and I can still uh, try to support her, but, but doesn't mean I have to include her into the complex of the family. But what is absolutely commanded is my attitude towards her, that she has value because God has given her to me or given my father to me. That is absolutely commanded. It's my view of my parents. And a lot of times we have today is we're being taught that you view your parents as the culprit for all the misfires you have in your own life. And guys, that is absolutely counter-scriptural. Totally counter-scriptural. The attitude towards your parents is that God gave them to you. Yes? Mm-hmm. Let me say this. What, I interrupted you. No, I want you to finish yourself. I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, no. Don't you dare go on a different thought. Let me say, um, let me say this. If my, if my mother had sexually abused me, if my father had physically abused me, when I go to heaven and face God and I had turned into a criminal, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to be able to use an excuse to God that my parents did that. He's going to say, what did you do with what you got? Oh, I understand you got banged around a little bit. But by the way, I was in control of that. I caused that. How did you deal with it? That's what was important to me, he said. It's not did you achieve more than Sal or less than Sal. It's what did, you do, what did you do with what I got, what I gave you? And the minute we have lost that in the fabric of our society, the one we live in today, guys, we put ourselves on a downhill, slippery road. Because now I have, everybody has an excuse for non-performance. That's just bull. It's antithetical to the scriptures, and it's a very dangerous concept to have. Excuse me, what was the... Yeah, I wasn't saying that the, the human being handed down with an excuse for our actions. I was just saying that And I think it does affect me. I'm very fortunate. I had good parents. Well-balanced home. They loved me. My dad was affectionate, put his arms around me. Uh, so I had one of those guys. But I had guys say, well, my dad never told me he loved me. Well, I'm going to tell you, for generations, men did not say to the kids they loved them. But they didn't come out warped. They still knew the dad loved them. Physical touchy-feely does not have to go on. Love is communicated a lot of ways. I happened to have a dad that did that. And I happened to have a squirrely mother. Wonderful woman, absolutely squirrely. She was just funny as a tick. Talked too much, did all kinds of jillions of things. But that didn't make me... I'll give you, when she would, I, here's, a, here's a story of my mother and what it did to me. When my mother tell, told a joke, if, it, if somebody laughed, she would tell it again. <laughs> then if they laughed, she would tell it a third time. She would go till they stopped laughing. 
You know what I found in myself? If I tell a line that's funny, I say it again. And if you laugh, I'll do it a third time. I picked up the I picked up all the patterns. It's just a pattern. I picked it up. Does that mean I blame my mother for that? Well, I learned it from her, and it was an inference. But I don't go jump off a cliff because of the thing. You see, you see the illustration. Mm-hmm. Like Islam or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's a, be- here's a clear illustration of the conflicting issues. You've got to honor your parents. You've got to ascribe value to them. But they are a negative influence you don't want in the family. And you are the spiritual leader of the family, and you're accountable to God for both of those. And you've got to decide how you balance them. Well, I can give you a lot of prescriptions, but they're just prescriptions. I wouldn't take my advice on the thing. I'd, you know what? It's, a, it's the tension. But all the scripture is tension. It's always tension. Of how do I balance those things? and make them go through the deal. Now the good news is you get to make the decision. And the bad news is you get to describe it to God. You discuss it with God when you go through it. Yeah, that's right. I'll tell it again before that's over. That's because I laughed. <laughs> that's right. No, they keep laughing and I'll keep spurring this baby on. Says, who are my mothers and brothers? He asked him the rhetorical question. Yeah. Said, does, what's the opposite of that? You know, what if your your parents are non-believers? How would they Yeah, well, he was making a point, don't you think? He was just making a point to his apostles. Let me explain to you who my family is, he says. It is those who do that. By the way, he brings them in later on. When he's on the cross, he didn't say, who, who are all the women over here 50 years of age that's been doing my will? Okay, these are my mother. Now, you see, that was not... He's, he's making an illustration to everybody around him. What is the pecking order? I think that's the, that's my answer on the sibling thing. So a sibling is important. He does not have a unique, or she does not have a unique linkage in my life like a, a wife does, a child does, or a parent does, because he didn't take time to even discuss it. I think that's his point he's making. All right, good enough, guys. Let's go to the last one. Uh, let's do, uh, well, we hadn't done a mark. Let's do Mark 7, 9 to 13. Jack, would you read that? I didn't get what I wanted. We're doing the Matthew 15, 4 through 6. 4 and 6. Okay, go, Bob. 4 and 6. For God said, respect the 
father and mother. And whoever curses his father and his mother is to put to death. Six. He does not need to honor his father in the way that he disregards. In this, in this way, you disregard God's commands in order to follow your own teaching. Okay. Got a teaching called Corbin. Does anybody know what Corbin was? An old Jewish teaching. And it went something like this, and I won't do it perfectly, but this is the best way I understand it. If you had a hundred dollars that you could give, and your parent was destitute and hungry, I could go to the head priest and hand him the hundred dollars, and the priest could declare Corbin, and I was exonerated from my responsibility to my parent. All right? Now, the tradition goes that the priest went around to the back door, I went around the back door, and he gave me 50 of the bucks back. So, it was a way to socially exonerate myself from a hungry parent or a parent in trouble. Well, that was a tradition. It was not scripture, of course. It was a tradition. And, they, and they, when they would declare Corbin, right. it would... It would exonerate me from my responsibility to my family. So I could take the hundred dollars and say, I look at what I'm doing, I'm, better, I'm giving it to the building fund. Right. All right. So that was, what I'm saying is that part of it was seen as a correct. It was a correct deal. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's just what I've read, and I don't know, I, I have no evidence that is true, but what Jesus is criticizing them for is this tradition which takes them off the hook of the responsibility to the parents. He said, that is wrong. I want you to learn two things, guys. Three things. Don't mess with the command of God on honoring your parents. Two, parental abuse is nothing new. Been around for centuries. Three, aging parents are a pain. And they're going to take out of you materialistically and emotionally and spiritually to deal with them. But our job is to do it. They will affect your quality of life. Yes, they will. But that's God's plan. Question on that. We've been abusing them for a long time. We're, we're taking it to a, a science and an art now. I mean, we're getting to a new level. We, if, if we can just keep going this way and get them isolated well enough, we can then uh, uh, get into genocide. We just kill them off. And, and now we're going to have the uh, suicide, and then we'll get into euthanasia as legitimate, and then we'll determine at certain age we'll just get rid of them because we've now got them isolated, we've got them on government dough. And we're moving in a very nice direction over here. Now, if I want to cut the budget, one way we can do it is just take everybody above, se above 70 years of age and just kill them. And that'll drop my budget problem significantly. I'll just get rid of the Medicare issue overnight. And don't think that's not the way governments think. If you don't believe it, look at what Hitler did to, to the Jews. You just get them isolated, get them nicely categories where you can take a target shot at them, and you can take them down. Yes? Is, is that Yeah, I think that was what it was. Was it wrong well, on Corbin? Was it just to the parent? You know, beg your pardon? Okay. Thank you. Good. You have it right up there. And that's what I want just to know right up on. The thing that got me was it's nothing new. It's absolutely nothing new. Okay. Well, what does honor mean? How much time we have, guys? Uh, this is important. Yeah. Let me just go on with this one a little bit. And uh, 
This is not scriptural. Everything we've been doing so far is scriptural. This is, this is Gail Jacksonism. This is purely my opinions. And you can tell what the incredible clarity there is there. Did, did you? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> It'll be a new slide next time. It may be a Pentagon now. I may go to a hexagon. Actually, I got asked when I gave this talk numerous times, well, what is honoring? And that's the question I kept asking myself. How does it look? And so I begin to diddle with this and think about it. What, what did it look like in Gail Jackson's life? Maybe not in your life, Terry. It may all look different with different ages, but I've got to tell you what I went through. And I'll try to explain it to you. And it's been of value to me and some other guys, but let's start it. How do parents relate to the child and how is the child response honoring? When a child is born into the world between zero and 10 to 13, I want to say to you that the whole denominator of the relationship is that they care for me. Uh, when I was born into the world, I needed three things. I needed to be cleaned because I could not control myself. I needed to be fed because I was incessantly hungry, and I loved to be loved. I loved to be held in a warm body and somebody pat me on the popo. And you watch babies, and you know that's true. They just, I mean, you, you want to really resonate with a baby, clean them up, and feed them and hold them a little bit, and then they'll burp and throw up when you get to start the whole process again. But it is a process of care. And as I got a little older, though, I learned how to maybe control myself a little bit. The truth is, my parents needed to care for me. I was totally, in, it, was, it was beyond my capacity to maintain a relationship. And so I would breach my relationship with my parents. I would lie to them. I would break something important to them. Are you with me? But they loved me and it put me back in. So the relationship went one way. It was not a two-way relationship. It was all them loving me. And you say, well, no, you were redeeming. i got to tell you, as a child, I had no redeeming qualities at all other than I was cute. And then a long haul just will not offset a lot of money. And all the pain I gave them and all the sleepless nights they had, they did it because they loved me. They declared me a value and they loved me is what it was. And they cared for me. And the way I showed my honor is I depended on them. I'm convinced that was my honoring. I was dependent upon them. I didn't make decisions without them. Everything, I was just totally dependent upon their capabilities. So my honor in this time was dependent. Then I turned the corner and entered into the great world of the blackout years called your teenage years. And as I went through those things, my parents began to work with me, and I worked with my children the same way, is I begin to give them definitive commands. Did I command them down here? Yes, but the dominance was care more than command. Now I'm starting commander. You'll come in at a certain hour. You'll uh, eat with us a certain way. You'll show respect at a certain time. God's commands are this. And we begin to set up commands within the relationship. Are you with me? And so the relationship was one of command, but it was still one direction. I didn't command them back. And I sure did nothing to maintain the relationship because financially I was dependent upon them, emotionally I was dependent upon them, socially I was dependent upon them. But the direction went one way and the way I honored them was I obeyed them. And when I went outside obedience, I began to show dishonor, correct? And the, the whole struggle as I went through with my own teenage children is how, what does that look like and how I deal with that. I don't want to get into that. But the relationship was one way and honoring was under the context of uh, I obeyed. Then my children, and I've got all three of them past this corner now, headed this direction, and I've noticed now we've got a new relationship, and that is 
one that is starting to go both ways. My son now engages me to have a relationship. My 24-year-old calls me to have a meal with me, wants to have a meal with me, go out and just chat with me. My 29-year-old wants to come by and spend the weekend with me, and, uh, with his wife. He just wants to get out and take a walk with me and talk about things. But I see him reaching back for the relationship. Now they're beginning to participate in the relationship. Up until here, it was always that way, but it's still going both ways. I hustle them, and they hustle me. But I'm not commanding them anymore. I could command my 29-year-old, my 24-year-old. It wouldn't go very far. I could command it. But I find myself in a counsel's role. And the relationship is underscored by counsel. And Scott will come in every now and then and says, Dad, what about something like this? And I said, well, have you thought of? Oh, okay. And he'll come back later. And it's his ideal. Or my 24-year-old will ask me something. But he doesn't want me to tell him that. He wants me to say, have you thought about it? And what about these kind of pieces? And now I've shifted from a command role into a counseling role. Are you with me on that? And so our relationship has shifted, and they show to me honor because they now describe discernment in their life, which is a product of all these years, that is a product of their raising in Christ. They show discernment, they are teachable, and they begin to show the indication of they desire my relationship. They work that we may have our relationship. All right? Now, I've not gotten beyond here, but I have. And when I turn this corner, I begin to realize that more and more the relationship became my responsibility. I knew that, I started to see that with my parents. That if we had one, I had to do it. It was too sophisticated, it was too fast, it was too expensive. And if I wanted, to, if they, if I wanted a relationship with my parents, it fully became my responsibility. Are you with me? And less and less did it go from here to here, and more and more did it go that way. And the relationship now became cultivating it. I mean, I, it didn't command any counsel, the relation has to be cultivated. And the way I honored my parents is that I recognized they were valued. I desired the relationship, and I accepted them as who they were. Key point. And as we turned the corner and came down the home stretch, the roles reversed. No longer did they care for me. No longer was it their responsibility. The relationship was totally my responsibility. If I wanted it, I had to go after it with my mother. She just could not maintain it. She did not have the capacity to make it. And no, then it turned to care. You know what my mother needed most of all the last five years of her life? Somebody to keep her clean, somebody to feed her, and somebody to love her. I have a mother-in-law living with me, 84 years of age, and Walt and I were talking about it this morning. You know what my mother-in-law needs? For me to love her, tell her very systematically, Eva, I really think you're a great gal, I love you. Somebody to clean and keep the room clean. I don't have to bathe her yet, but there's a good chance I'll have to do that. Right? And somebody to feed her. She, she can't execute. And so we're going the full circle, guys. <laughs> it started with them doing it for me, and I'm doing it for them when they exit. It's God's plan. Now, this is my pattern, but I think we honor different ways at different times. But I'm back down that the honor now comes from my commitment, my concern, my recognition, and the fact that the caring is now my burden. All right? We talked a lot about honoring your parents. There's a lot more to go on, but that's, that's a good starter for your study. Let's just make a couple of comments I want to leave you with. It is an incredibly important command to God. It is in God's strategy that you do that. It is not a pretty event. There's nothing glamorous about it. And it doesn't open, it does not up the quality of your life. You will struggle. You'll have to give up stuff. You'll have to sacrifice things. 
but it's God's command to do it. It's so important that they noted it in the crucifixion that Jesus took care of that responsibility. It is a spiritual responsibility. And it's one that God has a promise attached to. It's a very serious one, and it's specifically in our society and in our time, which is one which is throwing our parents to the dogs and giving all the glory and the honor to the young and nothing to the old. And guys, that is an upside-down down equation that is going to harm us as a country, but it doesn't matter. It's what are you doing as men of God. So it's one I really encourage you to give a lot of thought to, a lot of prayer to, and not only position your parents that you may honor them, but help your children understand how they may honor you. You've got to teach them this. Yes, sir, Bob. The reason I think it's there, Bob, is I think that it's so hard that God threw a, a pony in there for us to do it. I really believe that God is a reward system's God. And he said, this one is so tough. And so many people are going to run from it. I don't want it. I want to promise you, there's a promise if you'll keep this one. Okay. Yes. The, the relationship goes both. Yeah. Let me say this to you. The, the arrow is worth to note the relationship flow both ways. All right. But let me say to you, if, if I'm not teachable with my son, I'm an idiot. Absolutely. See, but the whole point now, it's not their problem anymore, it's yours. That's unidirectional. Remember that. Okay, guys, thank you for your attention.